I'm reading from Luke 24, 50 to 53. When he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. They stayed continually at the temple, praising God. I'm reading from the 16th chapter of John, verses 16 through 24. A little while you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Then some of his disciples said among themselves, What is this that he says to us? A little while, and you will not see me, and again a little while, and you will see me, and because I go to the Father. They said, therefore, what is this that he says, a little while? We do not know what he is saying. Now Jesus knew that when they desired to ask him, and he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, you will see me. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice and you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come, but as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that is human, that for the joy that a human being has being born into the world. Therefore, now have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. And in that day you will ask me nothing, more assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask in the Father's, in whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now, you have asked nothing, but my name ask and you receive, that your joy may be full. You might recall that in Jesus' life, Elijah ended up being referenced. Not just at Transfiguration, when Elijah and Moses appear on the mount with Christ and two disciples. But there is the thought that Elijah will come again, somehow, at the time of Christ. There is this notion. And if we look back at the Old Testament prophets, who are the two greatest? Moses and Elijah. Moses, we understand from Jude, dies before entering the promised land. And the devil lays claim to his body, and God will not argue with him, but takes him. Elijah, as we'll look at, is transfigured. He is taken up without seeing death. He's gathered up in a fiery chariot with fiery horses. 
I suppose the equivalent today would be a Lamborghini convertible. It's a very compelling story. Christ comes, and before him actually, who? John the Baptist comes, the greatest prophet of his day. John the Baptist comes as a kind of Elijah, preaching an Elijah message, which is what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. That is the Elijah message. That's the message that John the Baptist will preach. That's the message that Jesus will preach. The Elijah message. And as we studied in Mark some time ago, and many of you weren't here then, but basically as we studied in Mark, we learned that the prophets, uh, that, that the disciples come to appreciate Christ as one of the great prophets before understanding that he's the Son of Man and Son of God. They grow in their understanding of who Jesus is as time goes forward, as they observe his ministry, as they see him in action. But Jesus... And John the Baptist, just before him, were types of Elisha, Elijah's. Excuse me. If I said Elisha, I sometimes, the brain is a marvelous thing. Elijah, type of Elijah. Elijah did miracles, did he not? I believe it was Elijah who told the king there would be no rain for three years, and there was no rain for three years. I believe it was Elijah who on Mount Carmel had the showdown with the priests of Baal. Wow. I believe it was Elijah who slew three or four hundred, I tend to forget the number, I think it's four hundred, of the prophets of Baal with the sword and then ran from a woman queen. He knew where the, the power lay, I guess, I don't know. It was Elijah who would raise up a dead child. And Christ comes as a second Elijah. Let's turn to 2 Kings 2. I want to read this account for you. I'm reading from the New International Version. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal, which was at the time a very important city. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. It's reminiscent of Ruth and Naomi, isn't it? So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Now, I got to pause here. This is really amazing to me. This is not your average seminary, or as some of them are known as cemeteries. This is a place where the prophets have gathered from a particular area or region. There's a school of the prophets established probably by Elijah, but established in that region. There's no internet, there's no TV, no satellite communications of any kind. And when these two show up, all of them come out and say to the underling, to Elisha, to the prophet in training, your master's going to be taken from you today. How did they know? I think you know the answer. 
It wasn't satellite radio. It wasn't a CB. Citizens Band, yeah, CB radio. It wasn't shortwave. It was the Spirit of the Lord, was it not? Well, that's uh, going to be my working assumption anyway, moving forward. Yes, I know, Elisha replied, but do not speak of it. The reality I don't want to face. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, but do not speak of it. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what, oh, I, sorry, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them apart. He picked up the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak that had fallen from him and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord? the God of Elijah. He asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of prophets from Jericho who were watching said, the spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha, and they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. Look, they said, we your servants have 50 able men. Let them go and look for your master. Perhaps the spirit of the Lord has picked him up and set him down on some mountain or in some valley. No, Elisha replied, do not send them. But they persisted until he was too ashamed to refuse. So he said, send them. And they sent 50 men who searched for three days but did not find him. When they returned to Elisha, who was staying in Jericho, he said to them, didn't I tell you not to go? Let's see if we've got this straight. We have Elisha going from, and Elijah going from Gilgal to Bethel. From Bethel 
to Jericho. From Jericho to the Jordan. It makes reference to walking, but the sum total of this is a great distance to cover in a day. And it would appear that the Spirit of the Lord carried them much as the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip to the eunuch in the book of Acts. Another interesting point is that there seems to be, pardon this term, I don't mean it in any sort of New Age sense of the word, but a, a sort of cosmic spiritual reality or stream or presence. I like presence best. The comforter we know in the New Testament, whom all of these prophets are tuned into. All of the prophets in Gilgal, all of the prophets in Jericho, all of the prophets in Bethel prophesy the same thing. And Elijah, while he has nothing to do with any of this, turns to Elisha before the event occurs and says, what can I do for you before I am taken? The Spirit of God seems to have communicated, seems to have been present, seems to have spoken, seems to have moved. It's interesting that Elisha refuses to leave, and at the end they're separated, and the cloak, which was like Moses' rod, becomes Elisha's tool now. And we see Moses-like miracles occurring. The Jordan isn't so broad or swift or big today, but it was a mighty river way back when. And the floodplain was very large that it could cover. And when that cloak is wrapped and the water swatted separates to dry ground, in the same fashion, as the Israelites were able to leave Egypt and make their way across the Red Sea and get to the other side and witness the defeat of their enemies, the Egyptians. There is something referential here, something that looks back and connects the mighty acts of God in time and through his prophets. And in the end, the power that has rested on Elijah will rest on Elisha. And he will go on to do great things also. We come full circle when we get to John the Baptist and more particularly to Jesus Christ. Here is one who needs no staff or no, no cloak he simply speaks, and the wind and the waves obey him. He walks on the waters. He speaks life to the dead. His touch is enough to bring healing to those who seek and believe. And we have full circle, number one. The next full circle takes us from Advent this past December to the present time. 
Not long ago in this year or year prior, we were celebrating the Jesus that had come as a babe. This Jesus wrapped in swaddling clothes, which was itself a prophecy. Laid in a manger, which was itself a prophecy. Taken to the temple to be named and circumcised and dedicated on the eighth day and prophecies spoken of him. This one who would be the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. He comes as a babe, a promised one. And in the time of Christ, the new Elijah. He and his forebearer, John the Baptist, speak the Elijah message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And Jesus inaugurates the kingdom of heaven as it has come. It is a new era. It is a new age. And as he gives himself in self-sacrificing love, the Lamb of God that was slain that takes away the sin of the world, the sacrifice offered once for all, the Redeemer of mankind, as he bows his head and declares it finished. The circle's not yet full. That would be our life circle. Our life circle or cycle is that we are born, we live our lives, and we die, and we don't know when we're going to die. Thank God for that. We only know that we will. But Jesus' death is not like ours because he doesn't die the death that his sin brings. He dies the death that the sins of the world have brought and sleeps like Jonah the prophet in the belly of the whale. He sleeps in the belly of the earth for three days. Resurrection Sunday, he comes forward in glory, and there are witnesses, heavenly witnesses. We have different accounts of that morning. The women coming early to the tomb to further embalm the body. The news that the tomb is empty. John and Peter racing to the tomb, and John getting there first but not daring to go in. Mary being spoken to by Jesus himself. But Jesus doesn't immediately return to the Father. We find him meeting on multiple occasions with his disciples, encouraging them. And in our text read in Acts 1, 1 to 11 today, we note something very specific that a comforter would come to wait in Jerusalem. And that was also Luke 24. To wait in Jerusalem till the comforter comes. Next, sun, next Saturday, we will celebrate that. Next Sunday is Pentecost in the, in the church, the worldwide church. Jesus spends time 
and there are many witnesses to his presence. And after 40 days, isn't that a significant number in Bible history? I think you can probably remember a few other 40-day periods if you think about it, or 40-year periods. After 40 days, Jesus ascends. We don't have a record that there are chariots of fire and horses of fire. But I can only guess that God's modes of transport are beyond our comprehension. The disciples witness Jesus ascending and lose sight of him in the clouds. And they're staring up there, waiting, I guess, for him to fall back down. And those witnesses who were there at the tomb say to the disciples, what are you looking for? Is that word familiar? What are you looking for? You're looking at an empty tomb, but he's not here. He's risen. You're looking into the sky expecting what I don't know because he has ascended. The circle has come full tilt. The one who was with the Father from the beginning has come and lived and died on our behalf for sin and redeemed humankind. And now he ascends back to the Father. Circle two. It's a marvelous thing. Because we as Adventists look for the fulfillment of circle three. This same Jesus who has ascended, we're told, will come back in the same way that he went, in the clouds and in glory. We read in Hebrews 4, doesn't hurt to turn there, why don't we do that? Starting in verse 14, Hebrews 4:14. 4, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Not only do we have a comforter, as Jesus promised, and Pentecost is all about that, but we have a Christ who stands at the right hand of God and advocates for us that grace may continue to abound. Ooh, you are a quiet group, and yet I heard an amen or two. That must have really... Let's try that again. Oh, yes, it's good news we're talking this morning. Good news. This same Jesus who conquered death, who intercedes for us, who sent the comforter, whose presence is with us, whose goodwill is upon us, whose grace favors every day of our lives, will come again.
and the third cycle, the third circle, will be complete. The dead shall be raised to their reward. And the righteous living taken with them to join him in the air. We shall ascend through the clouds. And for a thousand years, we'll wait. Until the earth is made anew and purged forever of sin and its consequence. And as the scripture says, and thus shall we be with the Lord forever. Amen. Even so, Lord Jesus, come. It is time to return to God those gifts that he has given us in our tithes, in our offerings, and in the bounty of his grace. For the Lord loves a voluntary and cheerful giver. Amen. And so, Lord, we speak our alleluias, for you are lifted up, and you are ascended, and you are on high, and we, your people, worship you this day. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Comforter, who was sent. Amen.